0: good morning and thank you for joining in today's podcast i'm dana from das financial aid consulting and today's podcast we're going to go over uh verification and for those of you that are financial aid advisors you um are undoubtedly aware of what verification is but for those of you that may be students joining us that um do not understand or know what this process is. um, This is to help you today um, to understand why uh, verification is in place and why it is important that um, if your file has been selected for verification that you get the documents to your financial aid advisor as soon as possible so that um, They'll be able to complete your file and get your money in so that you'll have money uh, to pay for your tuition, um, as well as your um, indirect expenses, such as uh, transportation, um, housing and uh, personal expenses. So to start, um, last week, actually, the department held their annual FSA conference. It happened in, it was located in Reno, Nevada this year, Um, and so I have actually downloaded some of the PDF uh, materials that they provided when they went in and over the updates for verification. Um, That can be found. Um, I'll include it on our uh, blog once the podcast is ended, when I do the overview of our podcast and include our blog. Um, But, again, IFAP, I as in Frank, Isaac, F as in Frank, A as in Adam, P as in Paul, dot ed.gov, forward slash, IFAP. will get you to the training site for the department if you're interested in going there and then just scroll down on the right hand side to training and conferences click on conferences and that will get you to um, the materials that they uh, went over during this year's conference so to get started verification all it is is a checks check and balance system um, put in place by the department and when I started back in financial aid, almost, I think it's been 14 years now. The number of files that were selected um, at the start of each year um, by the system was about 30% of an enrolling class. So for that particular award year, whoever had denoted your school number or the school number you denote onto the application as to where you're going to be attending, 30% of those enrolling students would be selected uh, for the process of verification. Um, Initially it was you had to provide a signed copy of your tax return for that award year. So for this award year, the 2019-2020, they're using 2017 tax information so you would need to provide preferably they want a tax return transcript that you would have to obtain from the IRS. If you filed taxes in 2017 and you're selected and your financial aid advisor says hey we need your taxes, um, you need to contact the IRS and get a copy of your transcript. Now if you can't get a copy of your transcript because the IRS for whatever reason comes back and says we can't locate it, we can't provide it to you, then you're able to provide a signed copy of the original tax return that you submitted to the IRS for processing. One of the easiest ways to avoid having to do the provided copy of your tax return is at the time of application, you have the opportunity of linking your taxes to your application. So what happens is, is you get to this certain point in the FAFSA and it says, do you want to link your 2017 taxes to the application? And if you confirm that you would like to do that, then it sends you over to the IRS website. And what you need to know is that when you're trying to pull in that information, There's some information they're going to ask you to confirm you are who you say you are so that they're not giving your information out falsely. And one of those items is is that you need to remember the address that you filed your taxes with. If you can't remember it, they're not going to be able to provide you with the transcript, and you're also not going to be able to use the IRS data retrieval tool. So having said that, though, if you are able to remember the address, confirm the address, then what happens is your tax information automatically gets pulled in and you won't have to provide your tax return information. That's the same for the 2020-2021 application that is using the 2018 tax returns this year. So I advise everyone that if you know you're a tax filer for the 2017 or 2018 uh, tax filing year and you are given the opportunity to use, utilize the IRS Data Retrieval Tool, do it. It makes your life simpler as a student and also makes the financial aid advisor's job a lot more easier. Um, So what we are supposed to confirm when we're reviewing this information is adjusted gross income, US income tax paid, any untaxed portions of an IRA distribution or pension, and or pension, I should say, IRA deductions and payments, tax exempt interest income, and also education credits. Once all that information is confirmed, if for some reason when the tax return is received and reviewed, if that information is not accurate, it has to be corrected. Because what happens is is that tax return now becomes part of your school file. And schools are audited on an annual basis by the Department of Education. And so the files that are selected for verification are also scrutinized by the auditors. And if for some reason, the information that was provided was not corrected on the ICER, which is a result of the FAFSA application, then your money is in jeopardy of having to be returned if the um, discrepancy or conflicting information cannot be fixed. Um, So this is real crucial if you've received money but your verification items are still outstanding, meaning you haven't completed verification. If you do not get your information into your financial aid advisor and everything is confirmed that was on the application, you are in jeopardy of losing your money. The school will be out of the money because they have to return it back to the Department of Ed. You will definitely be out of luck because if you owe the school money and try to transfer to another school, They will hold your information that you may need to go to the other school and you are in debt now to that institution for the time frame you were attending um, without completing verification. So again, it's it's important that you, you know, do not ignore the request for the information. Get it to the FA, your financial aid advisor, in a timely fashion. And also um, follow up with them to make sure everything's good to go. Um, One of the other items that we do have to confirm is if you were a non-tax filer for 2017 or 2018, um, there are confirmations that need to be obtained from the IRS. Now if you are what we call a dependent student, meaning you have to have parental information on your application because you are under the age of 24 when you file your FAFSA or complete your FAFSA, you do not have to confirm that you were a non-filer. A parent would have to confirm if they were a non-filer and they would have to get a non-filer confirmation form, verification form, from the IRS. And basically what happens is, is that the, the form that we usually get from the IRS, if they can produce it, basically confirms that there was no Form 1040, 1040-A or 1040-EZ for 2017 filed. 2018 is a little different because... All the tax forms were revamped, and they omitted 1040-EZ and 1040-A. So if you need to get an an IRS verification of non-filer, again, you have to contact the IRS, ask them for it. If they can provide it, great. If they can't provide it, then a self-certified signed written statement from the parent confirming they were a non-filer, and then the school has to also provide a certifying statement saying that you tried to obtain the verification of non-filer from the IRS, was unsuccessful, and so you're they're accepting or confirming that you attempted it, you couldn't get it, so they're backing up your letter, if you will, for your file to confirm non-filer. Um, Okay, so why do you have to do this? The biggest reason why is because the Department of Education is funded with taxpayer dollars. And they want to make sure that if you're obtaining taxpayer funds to go to school, that you've done what you, you need to do as your fair share of putting into the system. I mean, if everybody didn't file their taxes, There wouldn't be a pool of money to be able to help you go to school. Pell Grant is free money for those that qualify for it from taxpayer dollars. You don't have to pay it back. But it is a grant. It's kind of like a gift. The taxpayers of the United States are giving students gifts to go to school, get higher education, so that you can also eventually, once you graduate, get a job and start working and putting back in the system. And that's basically what it's all about. So there are scenarios, and again, over the course of my career as a financial aid advisor, I have seen many times where the information is not correct or we find out that a tax return should have been filed when it wasn't filed and needs to be filed. And if we run across that situation, just a heads up, if there's no tax return filed, you're not getting any money, meaning that file will just end up being canceled and not processed any further. So in a way, um, it's, again, checks and balances for the Department of Ed um, who also has to report um, to the Treasury. Um, so that is why this whole process is put in place. Um, there's also, um, another part of the process where you have to confirm, um, your high school education that you completed high school, or if you didn't complete high school, you got a GED, or if you're from a foreign country, you have an education equivalent to what a high school diploma would be in the United States in order for you to be able to move to post-secondary education. Um, There's four criteria for high school completion. Um, And basically, when you have your financial aid appointment, you need to bring a copy of your high school diploma to the appointment to confirm that you graduated high school, where you graduated from. Um, Again, if you didn't graduate from high school, you got to, you got to, provide your GED certification. If for some reason you didn't get a GED, there used to be, and there may be some students out there that were able to do this and they just never finished school and could be grandfathered under this category. And it's called an ability to benefit test. Now they stopped doing this um, quite a few years ago. But for the time frame that they were accepting, meaning the Department of Ed was accepting ability to benefit tests, there are those students that are grandfathered. And um, if you know that you took an ability to benefit test back in the early 2000s, what you're going to want to do is contact um, your financial aid advisor. Let them know that you took the ability to benefit test. And there are... um, a chart of uh, agencies that were um, acceptable and also a date range from those agencies when those tests were um, administered, so that they can be used um, for you in order for you to be able to um, confirm that you're all set to go into post-secondary education, meaning you're all set to enroll in school. Um, and the same for those um, individuals that are in here uh, attending school from a foreign country or that are eligible non-citizens attending um, school. What you'll need to do is provide what you have for documentation from your country of completing high school. And um, if for some reason uh, it needs to be translated, there are um Uh, Multiple uh, organizations that have connected with the Department of Education for each state in the United States, um, including Puerto Rico, um, that can do those translations for your financial aid advisor. Again, all they would have to do is contact um, their Department of Education for their specific state and uh, tell them what the situation is, and they will get that document. Uh, translated and transcribed so that you have that in the file and you're all set and confirmed. So what happens is is that once it's all confirmed there is a form that needs to be completed and submitted and that confirmation also goes electronically to the department. Um, The other confirmation is called a statement. It's identity and statement of educational purpose. So on this form, they are confirming your identity, basically confirming you are who you are, who you say you are, I should say. And also that you are in school to obtain the education and you're going to use the money for your education and you're not going to go and get the money and then go buy a car with it. Or you're not going to get the, edu- the money for your education and use it to go buy Christmas presents. That is not what the money's for. The money is for you to use to go to school. It's not a loan to go and live your life. Um, lo- there's other loans for that, and you can go to your local bank and, and talk to them about obtaining loans for uh, personal expenses such as that. So, um, At this point, um, that's pretty much what entails for the verification items. Um, Some of your institutions may also require um, low income verification. And all that is, is basically if you have um, a number of family members, and I'm just going to put it out there, let's say You have three family members, and out of those three family members, there's a poverty guideline, and I know that when I review files, the poverty guideline we use is well below what the United States poverty set guideline is. Um, Typically, what we use is a threshold of $5,000 per person. So, but for the first person, it's typically typically six thousand. Meaning that for combined income earned from work or other ta- untaxed income, if you don't have a total of eleven thousand dollars for three people in your family, then wait a minute. I'm not adding right now. Sorry. If you don't have uh, sixteen thousand dollars for three people in your family. Uh, then you need to fill out what they call a low income statement, and just to confirm how you are able to make ends meet and provide for your family. And a lot of times, um, you know, on the questionnaire, there's, you know, we find out you're getting low income housing, you're getting SNAP benefits, meaning food stamps, you're getting um, Medicaid, supplemental social security, so. All of that combined goes into, yep, you're able to support your family or your family members and yourself, and and you're just helping us out with that. The other thing is, is that um, those individuals that um, don't have any income or are on assistance, you get an automatic, what they call zero EFC. EFC stands for Estimated Family Contribution. And that is the number that is used to calculate your eligibility or determine your eligibility, I should say, based on the department's guidelines for that particular award year. So it will tell you if you're Pell Grant eligible and or or subsidized loan eligible. Um, If you are in a situation where, and I see... A lot of these applications uh, just because of the demographic of the schools that are serviced. Um, There are a lot of individuals who are uh, single parents who may be um, independent because they care for a child more than 50%, but they might be residing with their parents. And if you are in that situation, you may not qualify as being independent if you are not able to substantiate that you're able to provide for yourself and your child or children above what the parents are providing in room and board. Meaning that if you pay your folks rent and you have income to do so, then you will qualify more than likely as an independent student. But if you don't contribute to your parents' household and they're letting you live there so that you can kind of make ends meet and while you go to school and they're watching your kids for you or providing for those children, um, but you may still be getting some assistance, but again, you're still not working, then your parents are the ones that are technically supporting you and your children. So that's when the application will end up being ran as a dependent uh, status with a dependent status and your parental information on there. Um, So just keep that in mind. And um, it's not a dig towards you. It's just, it's trying to keep an even playing field for those individuals that don't, maybe have the luxury of having their parents to lean on and provide for them um and if you have an independent student that is not living with the parents they're getting low income housing have no income but they're on assistance then that just helps them more so with their personal um indirect costs um which again cover transportation uh, personal expenses and that doesn't mean christmas gifts that more so means like you know, food, um, it means more like, you know, healthcare type uh, expenses. So um, just keep that in mind when you're filling out those applications, or if you're a financial aid advisor and you're reviewing those applications, um, just make sure that you're looking into that. Um, and at this point, I think we will um, close. And, uh, wish everybody a good day. I know it's Friday the 13th and, uh, <laughs> whether you're superstitious or not about it, uh, Friday the 13th is always a fun day, I, I believe. And plus we all are getting ready for the holiday. So I wish you a good weekend and, uh, we'll be talking again soon. Uh, the next podcast, uh, that will be scheduled, um, is going to go over professional judgments and uh, for those of you that are wondering what that is uh, you can adjust your application once you have completed verification if your income from the tax year that we're currently using again 2019-2020 we're using 2017 information if it's drastically changed and you're no longer making that amount of money you could look for a professional judgment And we'll uh, discuss that next week's podcast. So thank you for joining in. Have a great day.